You're listening to a Rock Candy podcast. Hi, I'm Peter Santoscano, and this is Bubble and Squeak, a podcast with uncanny sounds, funny interludes, and stories, most weird, many true. Okay, here's episode 11. Our show today comes in three parts. Part one, an eyewitness report from Reverend Nancy Wilson. She was on the front lines of the HIV-AIDS crisis. Part two, a series of voicemails from Sebastian at the Coronavirus Rapid Response Center. And part three, a sound slice. Back in 2014, during the Obama administration, I spoke with Reverend Elder Dr. Nancy Wilson. Together, we organized an event called A Queer Response to Climate Change. She told me stories about what it was like being one of the first responders to the HIV-AIDS crisis. I recorded her remarks and shared them on my Climate Stew podcast. Today, we face another global health crisis. Some are comparing COVID-19 to HIV-AIDS. While I can imagine possible similarities, Dr. Wilson's remembrances and commentary highlight the stark differences. I was the pastor of an MCC church in Los Angeles in the early 1980s when AIDS first came on the scene. I think a very important thing to understand is that we knew absolutely nothing about this and that we were not sure how AIDS was even transmitted. And here we are in a congregation full of queer people and gay men in particular and uh, gay men of color who are being impacted by this disease. And we had to make a choice very instantaneously. Would we uh, in some sense withdraw or, or be apart from that or would we just risk and plunge in? So I think one of the things we learned was to risk for the sake of justice and life and then what we had to confront the horror that what we were going through our own kind of holocaust in our community, oftentimes the wider dominant culture acted like nothing was happening or nothing important was happening. Or this was something that affected Haitians and drug addicts and homosexual men. And so these were people who did not matter in the power structure. And so it did not matter that it was happening. So we had a president who for four years in his first term, Ronald Reagan never mentioned the word AIDS. Imagine if President Obama never mentioned the word Ebola and look how few people Ebola has impacted in the United States, then HIV AIDS was impacting then. And so I think we felt very much like this was a war we were in, like all of our lives and our movement depended on it and that we had to take great risks and we had to speak up. And so came the act up phrase, silence equals death. I don't think there's anything more bold you could say in climate change than that same phrase. Silence equals death, especially death for the most vulnerable in the world. We had to do two things. We had to be a movement that impacted the politics of the day. So sometimes we were getting arrested at the, you know, at the county um, board of supervisors because they weren't releasing money for drug and drug testing. And uh, we had to be arrested in different locations and places just to protest the silence of our government. But then we also had to care for people who were dying, people whose families had thrown them away 
people who needed laundry done and they needed food brought to them. Um, they needed to be touched. They needed to be held and loved. They needed also to be buried. We had to find funeral homes that would take bodies. In the earliest days, sometimes you could not find a funeral home that would take uh, uh, the body of someone who died of AIDS. AIDS activists in the early days in, in protest of this took dead bodies and paraded them through the streets of New York City and San Francisco. People came out to their families on their deathbed a lot of times. And so you had to create community. We had people who would show up in, in church with IV poles looking sicker than most people ever looked in public and to accept that people just lay on a pew with an IV pole and you know uh, or chairs around us and and so we had to be accustomed to death and dying and to what death smelled and tasted and looked like and felt like on the one hand and to also have political will which I think was a huge struggle uh, and we went through levels of exhaustion where some of us had you know fell back or some of us had to you know just take a break but really, it was very hard to take a break. Um, I think I did few, 300 funerals in the space of, you know, maybe six, seven, eight years or something like that. That we have a strength when faced with a crisis that we can persevere, <laughs> even in the face of, of great risk or possible death. So I think that is within us when we are passionate and care. And especially it's also about caring for one another and when we understand that this crisis, uh, climate crisis, is going to impact all of us, the people we love, the people we are in this movement with, and that we can do enormous things. We can change public policy. We can change what our government is doing. You know, you look today at the ways in which black lives are still disproportionately impacted by HIV and AIDS, the way um, young queer people are impacted by HIV and AIDS, the way people in many places in the world still do not have access to prevention or treatment. And so I think what happens is when AIDS stopped affecting a certain class or group of people, then some of the energy and the funding and things got, got directed differently. Uh, and I think that's where you also have to have the will to continue to say, this is a fight we have to continue fighting. And that will be true and is true with climate change. This is Sebastian from the Coronavirus Rapid Response Center replying to the voicemail you left on, oh, last Wednesday. Sorry, we're a little behind, as you can imagine. Sorry I didn't catch you. You must be out getting supplies. Um, oh, do not forget, you must wash your hands frequently with soap and water for at least 20 seconds. What they don't tell you, though, is you also need to moisturize. Yeah, I, I they never told me, and I work at the CDC. Oh my gosh, my hands, I have washed them raw. Oh, and speaking of cleansing, don't forget to clear out your browser history because, God forbid, if something bad happens, you don't want to leave that mess behind. <laughs> 
Hey, it's Sebastian calling you back from the Coronavirus Rapid Response Center. Um, and um, you had questions about going outside. It's good to go outside um, to get sun and exercise, um, but you really need to look to your local and state officials for guidelines. There are no federal guidelines about this. Um, a lot of these decisions have been offloaded onto the local and state officials. I mean, normally the federal government government provides aid and help. But, you know, things are different this time, um, you know, and we can definitely see it here at the CDC. I actually don't work for the CDC. I'm a, I'm a census taker, but they took us off the line, a bunch of us guys, just just men. It was interesting. I don't know why, but we're all in this underground bunker and this doctor comes in and out with his lab coat and gives us instructions. I don't know. Hey, it's Sebastian. I'm just kind of bored, actually. People are calling with the most annoying questions, like, can my pet get coronavirus? Nobody really knows, you know, but your grandma can, all right? And your pet can get smothered to death if you, like, put all of your fears and hopes on it. So, like, give it a break and let it have a chance to breathe. People also want to know about what do they do? do because the bars and the liquor stores are closed. I'm like, I don't know. Maybe this is the universe's way of telling you something. Maybe you could try an alternative beverage like root beer or kombucha or, I don't know, yogurt, which I know technically isn't a liquid, but it's also not a solid. Chances are you will not like these alternatives, but you're going to feel good because you're making a sacrifice and you're going to feel like you did something significant by denying yourself. And then you could like stand on a table and shout out, I'm part of the greatest generation, which is likely something you would have said when you were drunk. Hey, it's Sebastian. Oh my gosh, I got a cold. I've done everything. I mean, I've never washed my hands more now than my entire life. I can see nerve endings. And I've been so distant from people socially, I could barely catch their eye, let alone their cold. So Dr. Pence, he was all worried. And he was like, do you want me to take your temperature? But then he was like, oh, but I only have an anal thermometer. I'm like, uh, nobody. I'm not going to fall for that one again or a third time. Well, this is Sebastian from the formerly from the coronavirus rapid response team. Oh, I got fired. Actually, they shut the whole thing down. It was so weird. Like, okay, so what happened was um, the computer system fell down. Ironically, there was a virus. <laughs> and so we like had nothing to do. And they said, just hang out in the break room, which actually is just like some warehouse space. There was like 75 of us guys. And we had to sit six feet apart in this giant circle with nothing to do. And it was kind of stuffy. And one guy all of a sudden starts rubbing his chest and is like, I don't feel right. And somebody else was rubbing his belly. I don't either. And a third guy was like, yeah, I kind of feel horny. I was like, wait, what? And another one was like, yeah, me too. I was like, wait. And before you know it, guys unzipped. Their pants were down to their ankles. I mean, all kinds of guys. And they were hot, gay, straight, heteroflexible, trans, cis, like everybody was going to town on themselves and just, you know, spanking the monkey or whatever 
term you like to use. Uh, it was a big mess. And then all of a sudden, Dr. Pence burst in and he loses it. He sees this action and he starts throwing Bibles, like literally physical Bibles at us. And then he starts pleading the blood of Jesus, which just seemed like some sort of spiritual biohazard. And then he fired us all and shut the whole unit down. And I feel... I don't know, kind of proud. <laughs> I mean, think about it. I was part of the biggest, most scandalous circle jerk in the USA since J. Edgar Hoover. Let me set the scene for you. I'm at Susquehanna University in Stratansky Music Hall. About 75 people are gathering to hear a piano soloist accompanied by a violin and cello. The date is January 24th, 2020. This is one day after China began its strict lockdown in Wuhan province. It's been three days since the first confirmed case of the coronavirus was reported in the USA. Elderly couples, professors, and college students sit side by side. The only anticipation I feel at that moment is for the music. Bubblin' Squeak is written and produced by me, Peterson Toscano. I mostly make the show for me, oh, and for my friend, Jennifer O'Brien. The Bubblin' Squeak theme song is Worthless by the Jelly Rocks from the Bang and Whimper album. You also heard two songs by Eleventy-Seven, Kick the Habit from their Rad Science album and Birthright from the brand new Basic Glitches album. You can find all this music on iTunes, Spotify, and wherever you listen to music. During Dr. Wilson's HIV-AIDS talk, you heard music from Scott Iwata, Sean Pope Domenico, and Jay Buckner. To find more great music and new podcasts, visit rockcandyrecordings.com. Feel free to say hi on Twitter, at P2Sun, the letter P, the number two, S-O-N, at P2Sun. Oh, and thanks for listening. <laughs>